Can you imagine being in the World Trade Center on 9-11 as it's collapsing around you? People screaming, running for their lives. Not only are you there, you are totally blind. How would you overcome fear and panic? This is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. On 9-11-2001, we were horrified and shocked to hear the catastrophe of passenger airplanes being hijacked and driven by terrorists into the World Trade Center's making them towering infernos and killing 2,753 innocent people. Looks like six, seven floors were taken out, and there's more oh, there's, explosions oh, right now. Hold on, people are running. Wait, hold, so hold on. on just a moment. We've got an explosion inside. The building's that... exploding right now. you got people running up the street. The whole building just exploded some more. The whole top part, people are running up the street. Okay, hold on. The, the people here, are everybody's panicking. Our guest, Michael Hinkson, was there in his office on the 78th floor of the World Trade Center with his guide dog, Roselle, as the building was hit by a Boeing 767, a hijacked jet going over 500 miles an hour loaded with jet fuel. It created a huge fireball as it sliced through the skyscraper, blowing out windows with fire and smoke and burning jet fuel. Fascinating account of the miraculous survival of Michael Hingson with his lovable guide dog, Roselle. Can you imagine the terror of not being able to see, yet hearing and feeling the building as it collapsed, people screaming and running for their lives? What would you do? Our guest is Michael Hingson, author of Thunderdog, the true story of a blind man, his guide dog, and the triumph of trust at Ground Zero. Michael Hingson is a cum laude graduate, and he has a master's degree in physics, and he speaks around the nation. Your guide dog, Roselle, comforted a woman who was in panic as she shrieked, we're not going to make it out. I can't breathe. And Roselle, I I love this, she nudged her hand with her cold, wet nose, asking to be petted, and the woman relaxed and petted Roselle and even laughed. Roselle has a kiss for a firefighter on his way up the stairs, and it was probably the last kiss of unconditional love he got. But Roselle was totally focused on guiding you out. I went over to stand in the doorway because I grew up where we had earthquakes occasionally, and I believe building moves go to door. Didn't really matter that we were 78 floors up, of course. Roselle, my guide dog, was asleep under the desk. Wait a minute, wait. (laughs) The dog was asleep. I can't believe this. I mean, here you call your book Thunderdog, and she's disturbed by thunder, but yet here the building is leaning over 20 feet to the side. I mean, there's fire and pieces of burning paper falling. It's a huge boom, and the dog is sleeping? Well, the boom wasn't that loud for us. The plane hit 18 floors above us on the other side of the building. There was a lot of stuff between us and the plane. So the boom was loud outside, but by the time it got down to where we were, it wasn't nearly so loud. So Roselle was waking up, but she stayed under the desk until after we completely stopped moving. And remember, the fire and the debris and so on was all outside. When it was tipping over the building, and you said it just seemed like it tipped 20 feet over, did you feel like you were going to die then? David and I actually said goodbye to each other because we thought we were going to take a 78-floor plunge to the street. It's amazing. This Boeing 767 had been hijacked by Muslim terrorists, flew this plane into the tower at 500 miles an hour. That's incredible. As a physicist, you can see that this is a huge impact. Well, sure, especially when it was full of 26,000 pounds of fuel. 
as solid as the World Trade Center looked, the building is hollow in the middle, and what he did is he blew a hole through the whole building. The plane went to kind of the central core, but it blew a hole through the rest of the building. What's amazing isn't why the buildings eventually collapsed, but why they stayed up so long. But the fact is they did because they were well constructed. The building did everything it was supposed to do. The commercial jet was loaded with 92 people and 10,000 gallons of jet fuel. That speed of the plane and the impact was equal to 480,000 pounds of TNT. A lot of explosive power, a lot of kinetic energy hitting the building. And yet, all it did was tip it 20 feet, which being over 1,300 feet tall isn't necessarily a lot, but certainly enough to get our attention. David and I thought we were going to fall to the street. Then the building stopped moving and it began coming back the other way. As soon as it got to be vertical again, I went back into the office and I met Roselle now coming out from under my desk. I took her leash. I told her to heal, which meant to come around on my left side and sit, which she did. And about that time, the building dropped straight down about six feet. What do you mean it dropped down? Literally that. It dropped straight down and, about six feet. Because and you felt it? Oh, sure. I mean, it's like an elevator dropping about six feet, starting to go down. The reason it did that was because the expansion joints in the spring, if you will, went back to their normal configuration. You didn't have any idea at that time what had happened, did you? None of us did. In fact, I didn't know what happened until after both buildings had collapsed because nobody was giving us information. So you had the smell of smoke and fire and flames leaping out of the windows above you. How, as a blind person, how were you able to not panic and your dog, Roselle, stay as calm as ever? David panicked. I was certainly very nervous about it. I heard debris falling outside the window. David was shouting what he saw. Roselle wasn't panicking. Roselle wasn't sensing anything that threatened her. She didn't see any of that fire. She didn't see any of that debris. All she knew was that the building kind of shook. It woke her up. She came out. She sat down. I called my wife, Karen, to tell her that something had happened. There had been an explosion or something. Thing. Of course, Karen wanted to know what was happening, and we didn't know. Did all of a sudden the cell phones quit working? If everybody's starting to call, the circuit would have been too full. Yeah, but I didn't use the cell phone. I used our landline, oh, and all okay. that was working. Your dog, your guide dog, Roselle, stayed focused, and she guided you to the top of the stairs, and safety was 1,463 stairs. The only way out is down those stairs. Let's go through that again. Roselle's job as a guide dog is to go where I tell her to go and make sure we walk safely. So it's my job to know where the stairs are and how to get to the stairs so that I can tell her. The dog's job is not to know that. Because if I train her to go find a particular stairwell, what happens if that stairwell is blocked in an emergency? So I give her directions like forward, left, right, and so on to go where I want her to go. Then she walks us there safely. And if there's a problem along the way, then she will stop or go around obstacles and so on. And by about 10 to 9 in the morning, we started down the stairs. And at that point, I began smelling an odor that took me a couple of floors to recognize as the fumes from burning jet fuel because I did a lot of travel even then. And so we started going down the stairs and I smelled that and finally recognized what it was. I observed to other people, I'm smelling burning jet fuel. They said, yeah, we were trying to figure out what that is. You're right. We've all been to airports. So from that, we assumed an airplane hit the building, but we didn't know it. Okay. Now, were there a lot of people that started pouring out of the offices? Where we were on the 78th floor, there were about seven or eight of us that went into the stairwell to other people were starting to go down the stairs. There was no question about evacuating our building. One thing I really liked about your book was how you kept drawing attention to this marvelous dog. And you wrote, a dog is the only thing on earth that loves you more than he loves himself. I think that's precious. Guide dogs love to work. They'll work 
under any circumstances. They could be hurting and they will still want to work and please. They're very stoic. They love to do what they do. Well, you know what I thought was beautiful, too, when you got your first dog and you were, how old were you? 14. You said it was like walking on air. You were so excited waiting for your dog and then Squire came in. You said it's like falling in love for the first time. What a sweet bond. Yeah, it's an incredibly close and very tight bond. Yeah. In this relationship, there's only one side that can betray the trust, unlike human bond. And if we betray that trust, if we hurt the dog, it's very hard for them to come back to trust again because they are looking for and expect love and a close relationship, how powerful that bond can be and how close we can become to our dogs if we work at it. Sixteen and a half minutes later, United Airlines crashed into the 78th floor of Tower Number 2, and this blast flung people through the air, and those who survived woke up with birds burns and bleeding and dangling steel beams and a deluge of water from the fire sprinklers. Now, where were you at this time? I was on the stairwell and knew nothing about any of that because we didn't even feel the vibration of the impact. On the stairwell, you start going down and you're pretty calm. Then you did say the air became so difficult for you to breathe. The fumes were wafting around the stairwell, of course. The fumes were very strong. Sometimes they were less, but at times it was very difficult to breathe because the amount of fumes that we had from the burning jet fuel. Did it feel like it was going into your lungs? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, we were breathing it in. Oh, Um, and your dog, too. She just kept going down the stairs. She started panting as we got further down because I'm sure she was tired and also the press of bodies. It was warm on her. Dogs don't sweat like we do, so she was also pretty thirsty and just trying to deal with the situation. But she got a lot of encouragement because my job is to encourage her. So I was constantly saying, good girl, you're doing a great job, Roselle. Good girl, keep going down the stairs. You're doing good. What a good dog. And all those kinds of things. So if I started sounding nervous or worried, then she's going to be focusing on me rather than do her job. That was crucial for me to do to keep us working successfully. I don't think people realize how close a blind person is to their guide dog. They get so attached to the dog, the bond becomes so strong. As you're walking down the stairs of Tower Number 1 on 9-11, your guide dog, Roselle, begins to pant, not from the heat of the stairwell, but from her intense focus on what she's doing. Her intense focus caused her to probably ignore how tired she was, too. So she just continued to go down the stairs. Unlike me, the next day, who was stiff as a board because of all the walking, she was out playing with her predecessor, Linny, and they just had a great old time. She went right through that as if nothing happened. That is amazing because, I mean, I can't even imagine the tightness you would have, tense moment. But when did that woman shout out? She started to panic and she just said, we're not going to get out of here. And then I was so touched by Roselle at that point. And you, you gave her a hug. But tell us about that. She just said, I can't see. I can't go on. We're not going to make it out of here. I can't breathe. And we all had a group hug. We surrounded her. Roselle gave her some kisses. We all hugged her and said, come on, we're in this together. You can do it. And she was able to keep going. David, a few floors later, said, we're going to die. We're not going to make it out of here. And I just said, stop it, David. If Roselle and I can go down these stairs, so can you. And literally snapped at him to get his attention to get him to focus again. Now, both of those things happened because we had two burn victims pass us on the stairs who were very badly burned. So the reactions are understandable. But a lot of us, as we went down the stairs, knew we had to keep panic away. 
we did it in a very loving way. People really understood that we had to work together to get out. And so we were able to keep going down the stairs as a result. Anybody can understand how they could panic in a situation like that, the woman screaming, I can't breathe. But the power of a dog's nose, Roselle nudges a woman's hand with her nose, asking to be petted, and the woman can't ignore it. And she pets Roselle's head. The woman relaxes, slows down her breathing, and even laughs a bit. Roselle has worked her magic once again. I love that. Yep. It was like a nightmare. The first burn victim went by and she was just badly burned and just looked like a zombie and expressionless. I mean, the shock. And then the next one that went by was even more horrible. And he he saw that and described it to you. But it it was just such a horrible day. It was. We had no control over 9-11 occurring, right? What we do have control over is how we deal with it. As bad as 9-11 was, there were lessons to take away from it, lessons of how we react when there is change and how we deal with something different in our lives than we expect. Well, let's face it, Mike, it really was possible that you would die in that stairwell. I mean, many people did. But I like this. You felt your dog Roselle's harness, and you knew that she was looking up at you. Again, look at this bond. She was waiting for your command, and you knew panic wouldn't help, so you stayed calm and said to David, if Roselle and I can go down those stairs, then you can too. I mean, isn't that classic? Here's a blind man with his dog calming a guy who can see, saying, hey, if we can do it, you can too. I love that. But sight had nothing to do with it at that point. As much as David could see, I guarantee you I have a more vivid imagination than anything David can see. Roselle was walking down the stairs, and that gave me the strength to focus on what I needed to do to encourage her and to help David at that point. I don't know about you, but the first thing I would do is pray to God. I would want God in there. You are a Christian, so when did you pray to God? Right away? I do that all the time. Yeah. I was certainly talking to God and asking for guidance. That led me to be as forceful as I was focusing on working with Roselle. We did that, and we kept going. Okay, you humorously wrote, there are advantages to being blind. You save money on electricity bills. You don't need lights. But did you really have a fear that the lights would go out when you were on the staircase? I certainly did. If the lights went out and all these people started to panic. So absolutely, I was worried about that. But that's why I said, I don't want anyone to worry. I'm blind. I've got my guide dog, Roselle, here. If the lights and power go out, we're offering a half-price special to get you out today (laughs) only. I also wanted to put some humor into it. But I also wanted people to know that if something happened, we would be okay and we would be able to get out of the tower if we work together. Well, some people don't realize these firemen, they're coming up the stairs and they're carrying 50 to 60 pounds of gear, including helmets, gloves, axes, air tanks. I mean, these guys are tired and sweaty and they're not even halfway up to the fire. David said that the firefighters were coming up the stairs. They certainly knew what had to be going on, but we didn't know. Very touching is the first firefighter stopped to see if you were all right, and the dog, Roselle, and then you knew he was petting her. She was nudging him, and as he went on up the stairs later, you thought that was probably the last unconditional love that he ever got. Right. That made me cry. And it probably was. I don't know whether he made it out or not, but I would presume there's a good chance that he didn't. Roselle gave him a kiss on his way up. I mean, that's so touching. She was good at that. A very loving dog, a wonderful spirit. You said, Roselle, your memory will always be with us, and I know your spirit will continue to touch us all. I know you're watching and you're nearby us. Help us all to be better people and dogs. But most of all, be yourself wherever you are. I hope you're feeling better now. You have set a high bar of love for all of us. Be at peace and know that we shall try to love each other as much as you loved each of us on this earth. 
It's so sweet. She's in all of the toxins that she ingested from the dust cloud and so on on 9-11. So that's what she, she passed from. And I wrote that the day after she passed. It just kind of came out. But I think it's the best tribute that I could possibly give her. Now she's up in heaven. She's in heaven. That dog and so many of these other guide dogs like this are really gifts from God, aren't they? Everything that we yes. have is a gift from God. And what we really need to do is to be good stewards of the things that we're given by God. Each and every single one of us, and dogs too, and cats, although dogs have masters and cats have staff. But <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> hey, right. Hey, I'll agree that with that. One. That's absolutely true. <laughs> we finally made it to the bottom of the stairs at 9.35 in the morning. When I got to the bottom, there were sprinklers on, keeping a curtain between the lobby and the stairwell in case fire got into one or the other. We burst through that, made it into the lobby, and then finally at 9.45 in the morning, we got into sunlight for the first time. There was no office to go back to. It was all vaporized, and the funeral started. Some New Yorkers attended four to five funerals a day. Altogether, it was 2,825 people who lost their lives that day, but it could have been far worse. On an average workday, there usually was 35,000 people in the World Trade Center. For weeks afterward, if you went anywhere near Summit, New Jersey train station, there were 80 cars there that didn't go home at night because they lost more people than anyone in New Jersey. There were so many people who were lost. People were going to four and five and more funerals a day, yet people were saying, how come you're not selling anything? you got to get back to normal. And there was just no way to really tell them because they wouldn't hear it. They saw what happened on 9-11 through a little box or just through pictures in the newspaper. Normal had changed for everyone, and you can't just get back to business as usual after something like that. No, and when Karen heard your voice, whoa. I mean, because she had been watching this on TV as the whole world was watching and not knowing where you were and the relief. And you said you hardly cry, but you started crying then. There were tears on both sides of the phone. It's so sweet. I think in some ways it was unreal. Who would have imagined? But it had happened. We were there, got out of it, and life had changed forever. When did you call your wife, by the way? After a police officer came and said, you need to leave the train station, we went back upstairs. We were in a little plaza area, and we knew that our tower was collapsing. So we kind of covered up and moved to the side when David saw another dust cloud coming, and we avoided most all of that. After the dust cloud passed us and the sound died away, David looked around and said, Mike, there's no World Trade Center anymore. I asked him what he saw, and he said, all I see are fingers of fire and pillars of smoke hundreds of feet tall. There's no World Trade Center at all. It was about a minute or so later that I called Karen. She's the one who told us both towers had been struck by aircraft, the Pentagon had been struck, and a fourth plane was still missing over Pennsylvania. South Tower begins to roar with a deep rumble that becomes a deafening roar, people screaming in terror. It was like a freight train and a waterfall of glass. That is what happened. We started walking up Broadway, which put us diagonally across from Tower 2. We were there when the tower came down, kind of a freight train walk waterfall sound that I heard. So everyone turned and ran. David ran. He was gone. I turned around 180 degrees and started running back the way I came to run away from the collapsing tower. And as I began to run, I thought to myself, God, I can't believe that you got us out of a building just to have it fall on us. And at that point, as soon as I thought that, I heard in my head, as clearly as you hear me, as clear as your listeners are hearing this broadcast, I heard a voice that said, don't worry about the things that you can't control. Focus on running with Roselle and the rest will take care of itself. And I had this immediate sense of certainty and calmness. 
certainty that we would be okay if we worked together and calmness that gave me the strength to continue to focus and encourage Roselle. Well, I don't know whether she could even hear me telling her, good girl, keep going, hop up, which is a command to speed up and go faster. She kept running. We don't normally do a lot of running, but we did that day. She kept running, and I continued to have this certainty that we would be okay if we worked together. We got to the next street corner. We turned right, and then we were hit by the dust cloud all the little fine particles. It was so thick that, as David said, you couldn't see your hand six inches in front of your face. We were breathing in more dirt, debris, dust, and stuff than we were breathing in air. It was a toxic blanket of smoke, gases and vapors, and pulverized concrete dust. I mean, this stuff is dangerous to breathe in. And this dust cloud, 300 feet high, roared over us. That is amazing. Because we all knew that there were toxins. These buildings were built in the 1970s. Of course, there was asbestos and all sorts of stuff. Well, we saw it on TV. Remember, we saw the tower come down and then this huge dust cloud that everybody's running away from and then got engulfed in. Yeah, you're right. It was toxic. We knew it. This huge cloud. We just ran through it. And as soon as it hit us, we started realizing we needed to get out of this. So we were looking for a place to go. Many people did die right there in the streets surrounding the collapsing towers. There were eight tons of steel beams tumbling end over end. Cars were launched through the air along with chunks of concrete and deadly shards of glass. One EMT fireman tells of surviving while his partner right next to him was killed by a flying eye beam. There was all of that. And all we could do would be to run for our lives. Finally, I I heard an opening and she saw an opening. She turned right. She took one step and she stopped dead and wouldn't move. I told you what I heard from that voice from God. The voice said, don't worry about what you can't control. Focus on running with Roselle. Roselle stopped. There had to be a reason for it. When a dog stops and doesn't move, there is a reason for it. At that particular point in time, it's me trusting Roselle that she's doing her job. Well, she was. We were at the top of a flight of stairs. When I told her to go forward after giving her a big hug and telling her she was a great girl, we went down the stairs and found ourselves in the opening arcade of the Fulton Street subway station. But it was all about trust. It was all about working together. Yeah, that's interesting how, Roselle, you trust her so implicitly. There she is right beside you, guiding perfectly, totally focused. If we don't make it, we don't make it together. Roselle and me. Roselle trusts you. She listens to you. And your voice is like a shepherd. So she listens and she reacts according to you. I think it's a beautiful story of a man and his dog. I think it's a beautiful story of teamwork on any level. Roselle had dust in her eyes. So was she blind at that point? I don't know. But all I know is that she continued to guide, so she must have been able to see. Maybe her head was pointed the way it was. She didn't get dust in her eyes to the extent that she couldn't see, because obviously she was able to continue to guide. Well, when you were in the subway station, a woman was crying, I can't see, my eyes are full of dirt. And so you took her arm to reassure, and you said, I'm blind. How reassuring. But I have a guide dog named Roselle, and she will help us and keep us from falling down the stairs into the subway tracks. That helped. Carol, get to be calm again. I said, clear your eyes and you'll be okay. And I didn't know this woman, but Roselle helped us both. When did the man come and take you into the locker room, which was cool and you got water? Lou came up and said, I'm an employee of the subway system. There's an employer locker room I could take you to. And he took us down there, about eight or nine of us. So we followed him. Carol's eyes had been cleared enough that she could see. When I think about the firemen and all the other people that were helping others in the midst of hell, you wrote, hell on earth. When all human instincts scream, get out of here, run away, save yourself, there were men helping others staying there right at ground level, and many of them perished. They certainly 
are the heroes. They did everything so selflessly. You know, when we saw them going up the stairs, they just went up the stairs, not giving any indication of fear. They stayed to do everything they could after buildings started collapsing, and certainly they're the heroes of 9-11. Okay, now some people are going to be listening to your voice and seeing if they hear any anger about the Muslim terrorists who did this atrocious thing, inflict incredible human suffering to innocent people on 9-11. You're right, it was terrorists, but there's no sense in being angry about them, because if we're angry, if we are filled with hatred, we're only hurting ourselves. Don't worry about the things that you can't control. Focus on the ones that you can. If you allow yourself to become burdened, rather than saying, how are we going to move on? We certainly can control how we deal with it. God doesn't give us insurmountable problems. He gives us challenges and waits for us to overcome them and then rejoices. I thought it was interesting how your little dog was frisked at the airport security. (laughs) Oh, she loves to get searched. She wags her tail and sometimes it slips over on her back and she thinks that the TSA was invented to give her attention. (laughs) Well, you lived a nightmare, that's for sure, at ground zero. It wasn't God's fault. God gave us the opportunity through 9-11 to choose how we're going to live our lives. God doesn't do bad things to people. So it's up to us to choose how we want to live after any kind of tragedy or change in our lives, no matter what it is. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. God bless you. God bless. Michael Hinkson, author of Thunderdog. When David was a shepherd boy, David faced a lion coming to eat his sheep. And yet David trusted God, and God gave him the supernatural power to kill the lion and the bear and the giant with a slingshot. David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of of death, I will fear no evil. I won't be afraid because the Lord God is walking close beside me. The Lord God, who created the universe perfectly, now says, do not fear. I am with you and want you totally to trust in me. Draw close to him and he will draw close to you. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1797, The Shock of 9-11. That's number 1797, The Shock of 9-11. You can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issuesineducation.org. Give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000. And here's a powerful scripture from Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. For Issues in Education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd.